Welcome back into another episode of Steelers Afternoon Drive. I'm Zachary Smith. That is not Alan Saunders. Sometimes, just like in football, you got to call an audible. We got Nick Faraba joining us today. As uh, everybody can tell, look at your calendar. We're getting pretty close to back to school. Alan's got children. Bam. Some things come up. Perfect storm, so, you know. Nick Farabaugh is here with me for the show. If you guys are wondering, I promised that on a Friday I would wear a cowboy hat. Here we are. The issue with this is the headphones don't go over it, and I can't find my AirPods anywhere. So I made a promise. I'm keeping the promise, but this is very uncomfortable for me right now. I'm very happy to still be here on a Friday, though. Nick, not anything really to touch on new today, right, with training camp wrapping up yesterday in a preseason game tomorrow let's take a step back before we take a step forward your article today actually on the site um, was about five winners five losers of training camp Um, without going incredibly depth into that because we obviously want people to go to the site and read the article um, if you want to throw maybe a name or two from that out there and then obviously kind of tease what's in that article yeah, uh, we'll do that. You know, here for the next man up mentality. Here we're embracing that with Alan. <laughs> Allen. Uh, you know, you we we have a we have a tradition here at Steelers now that we we hit the ground running, and so I'm going to hit the ground running here. George Pickens, I think, is the obvious winner that we we all will name right. The flashy mm-hmm. one hand catches. Uh, you guys see them all on whatever platform you wish to use. You probably can see them on MySpace somehow, even now. <laughs> but TikTok. Twitter, they're everywhere. Sorry, X, I guess, but uh, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not calling it X for like at least five years. Um, yeah. So you know that they, it's all over the place. But that's not why he just you know is on the winners list. He looks better in terms of route running. He's running a fuller route tree. Uh, he just, he looks like a better player. I think that's the the big thing. Uh, he he's making the spectacular catches along with different routine things. In terms of losers, I think the obvious loser is is Kendrick Green. Um, unfortunately, mm. you know, the fullback experiment's really fun. I like it too. He's actually been quite good at fullback, but man, he hasn't been good at camp and that Tampa Bay tape is rough, like yes. really bad. Um, and so I don't know how I can have him as a, as, as a, anything else, but a loser, but there is a lot more there. I'll, I'll say that, uh, there are many big contributors, including a potential, uh, potential big uh, quarterback on that list um which one you know and then if winner or loser you kind of have to see but uh I, I did break it down in depth as to why um i talked more about george pickens over there as well just kind of the routes he specifically is running like more in breaking mm-hmm. and out breaking routes uh, he's just doing more like nuanced things and, and i think that's kind of what's going to take him to the next level i think he should be a guy that really since the star status um, just taking a look big picture here, the entire scope of training camp. What were some of your takeaways? Now I'm not asking you to give like winners or losers at this point, but just like some takeaways from camp. I know a big thing that everybody talked about, man, no fights. Like that was a big takeaway for me. Not a single fight happening while it looked like Joey Porter Jr. And George Pickens could have come to blows a couple times. It stayed between the lines and it never went beyond the play. Um, so I think that it's in a tribute to the coaching staff, having them run a very physical practice, but leaving it at that. Um, But what were some of your big takeaways from this camp? Yeah, I think one of the big takeaways was that there is a legitimate willingness to try and push the ball down the field. I think that's been Mm. the biggest one I've had is that, yeah, they want to run the football. We all know that. But 
they're going to try and push the ball down the field. They have guys that can do it. They have George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Calvin Austin, obviously just adds a different element to what they bring uh, with his speed. But, like, they, they have a willingness, and Kenny Pickett's good doing it. I think Kenny Pickett doesn't have, like, an elite deep ball, but it's a good enough deep ball, and it's going to give his receivers a chance to win that every single time if they have separation he'll get it to them accurately without them having to slow down or really under-throwing the ball. I think that's been something. So last year they actually were the worst in the NFL in terms of touchdowns outside the red zone. They, they only had two touchdowns outside the red zone. Both of those mm-hmm. came late in the season. Um, one came in, in the very last game with George Pickens uh, catching one. Um, so that that's something that they need to improve on. It's pretty obvious, I think, that kind of everybody um, that they needed – to get more explosive. I think that there's definitely a possibility for that. Um, I think the offense has shown an ability to look better. I don't know if I'm going to say they're going to be a good offense. I think that's a little bit too much. Yeah. Of a, I still have many doubts about Matt Canada. Um, I, I still have doubts about this offensive line being like super good. I think it's going to be pretty average. Um, I think, you know, the receivers are pretty volatile. I like Deontay Johnson and George Pickens, but where they have been known in their career so far. Pickens was a volatile player. Deontay certainly is being a volatile player before. Um, but this could be a good offensive if they click correctly. I think they should be a more explosive offense. And Calvin Austin, I think, is a big part of that uh, equation. I think that's another big takeaway. It's just he's going to have a role in this team. And it's going to be, you know, when, when a guy runs a 4-3 and can stretch the field horizontally and vertically and do different things that Calvin does from outside, inside, like he doesn't have to be a guy that plays more than 15 snaps per game, but you could take two or three deep shots, two jet sweeps, and one of those could be a 50-yard touchdown. Like that's the point of Calvin Austin in the offense. They didn't have that last year. They will this year. Um, I think another takeaway and then kind of the big defensive takeaway I had is just how deep they are at defensive line. Like mm-hmm. I, I think coming into this, we kind of knew the top was going to be good. Like we knew who TJ, Alex Highsmith were – Cam Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi, right? But the D-line depth interior-wise is really good. Isaiah Laudermilk had a good camp. Armin Watts looked good. Braden Fajoko is just a, a hoss against the run. That's my guy. I like Braden Fajoko a lot. Um, but you have, you know, Montrevis Adams, uh, DeMarvin Leal. Like, Keanu Benton was awesome in the preseason, and he had a good camp, mm-hmm. too, when he was out there. And, and so, like, all these things are culminating together. And then their edge depth is going to be really good, right? Because Nick Herbig looks like a stud, like – so I think that's their big takeaway. I think they're going to be a defense that might have issues on the back end. I'm still not uh, fully invested in the slot corner position. Um, I think that could be that's an actually where I wanted to go next. Yeah, I think that could be an outside addition. We can talk about that a little bit more. But uh, I think those are your two big takeaways. I think they're in terms of just overall team rather than, you know, individual players looking good. I think there's a willingness on offense to be more explosive. And I think on defense, the front is going to be really deep. And they're going to be able to keep guys like TJ Cam. Larry, Alex, kind of fresh. Uh, if if you think about, I mean, for you, obviously, like being a pit guy, you will, of course, remember Matt Canada's time at Pitt when he had a player there, Quadri Henderson. And I just wonder if we could see him try to get the ball to Calvin Austin in similar ways that they did to Quadri at Pitt. Um, I, I'm not making an excuse at all for Matt Canada. I mean, if people follow me on Twitter, I'm still going to say Twitter like you. Um, they've seen that I've called out 
Matt Canada plenty of times, you know, in his tenure here in Pittsburgh. But I will also add to that that I don't think that he's had the ideal personnel to run his offense either, like his ideal offense. Um, what do you think about that in terms of getting Calvin, not just the ball as a receiver, but also on, you know, jet sweeps, putting him in motion, just getting him the ball in space? Yeah, he'll he'll most certainly be the Quadri Henderson of this team. Um, playing yeah. less than Quadri did, but uh, yeah, um, he'll be a guy that does get those manufactured touches. Um, I just don't know how Matt Canada completely takes his offense and sequences it at an NFL level. I think that's the mm-hmm. biggest thing. I think, first of all, the run scheme is fine. I think the scheme itself, and from a run standpoint, that's always been a strong suit. It's always been what makes him intriguing, right? He was the first guy to really kind of engineer motion in, in the way he did. Like, people forget. I keep telling the people this, but like Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, they all kind of took inspiration from Matt Canada. Like he was the first one to implement the motion in the way we see it in the modern NFL college game. That was Matt Canada all the way back when he was at like Northern Illinois and NC State. That was that was his thing, Wisconsin, right? He was the guy that did that. But what has kind of been exposed about him are two things as a play caller. I think one is he doesn't really sequence his plays very well and he when he tries to do it he doesn't get the first step down and what i mean by that is in order to sequence off a play the play actually has to work like if you want a jet sweep they better work right you can't mm-hmm. put a passing game off the jet sweep if the jet sweep goes for two yards so i just think i think that is something that they need to be better at and i think that could open up a new avenue for him certainly because they they're gonna have a better offensive line but again i don't think it's gonna be like an elite offensive line it might be like a top half of the league, but we're talking like 15th best. It's fine, but it's not going to be like some, oh my gosh, elite line. It'll be definitely better though than the past. So yeah, he could do some different things there. But I think the other thing is I just don't love his passing game schematics. Like I don't love how the passing game is engineered from his level. Um, now it, this is, not like the JT O'Sullivan rant. I'm sure, you know, you guys mm-hmm. talked about that and, and how they call yeah. basic stuff. Like, yeah, that's part of it. But a lot of stuff just doesn't work together or work off the rest of the run game. I think that's been the issue. I talked about the, working a passing game off the jet motion stuff. They don't really have one. I think that's an issue. Like, the yeah. jet sweep is just the jet sweep. They don't really have a passing game off that jet sweep, or at least an expansive one. Um, and, and so I, I find that to be concerning. I just I don't love the passing game schematics. And so, you know, I kind of wonder if while we're seeing the evolution right now, I'm worried when the season gets going, if we're just going to lock back into everything. Right. A place of comfort where Pickett's throwing five yards per attempt. George Pickett is only running go routes because it's like the only thing they can do to get explosive plays. Deontay Johnson is catching curls and screens and slants and not doing anything else like i'm worried there's going to be like a lock in on the passing game i think the running game is going to be really good i think they will be but in order to be a good offense you have to be explosive in the passing game i think that's the biggest concern sure yeah and, and on the reverse side of that switching uh sides of the football with you mentioning that being the biggest concern i think coming into camp i looked at the inside linebacker position i looked at slot corner as the two areas of big concern for me you address the inside linebacker by bringing in Quan Alexander. Absolutely love that addition. I don't think you can do better 
than what he's going to give you for the vet men. Um, but I still look at Slockhorn. I don't think that anybody necessarily like took reign of that job. Like it was there for the taking. It seemed like Shannon Sullivan was kind of like the incumbent guy because he had the most experience there coming off being that guy in Minnesota last year. Granted, not very good in that role in Minnesota last year, um, but nobody really challenged him for that spot. Like Elijah Riley seemed to be fine. I think he had made some splash plays. I think he can serve kind of like that off the edge from the slot run defender like Millette, like Mike Hilton. But I don't know what he's going to give you in coverage. What is your takeaway from from the slot corner position? Yeah, not a lot of confidence there. I, I just I agree with your take on Elijah Riley. Had a really good camp, but he's not a three-down starting slot. He is not that. He is a good special teamer that can play in the slot in a pinch, but he's your Art Mallette. He's your rundown blitzer, which which has its role, right? But mm-hmm. Art Mallette wasn't the starting slot either. And, and so, you know, for that specialized role, I like Elijah Riley. I think they have that part of it. I think the passing down main slot guy, I don't know they have that on the roster. Uh, you know, I know Shannon Sullivan's kind of supposed to be that guy. But uh, you look at what he did in camp, but it's not even just what he did in camp. He didn't really have a great camp, first of all. He, he just kind of looked pedestrian. Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, all of those guys that won the slot, Calvin Austin, kind of just looked on a different level um, for the most part against him. But, like, the tape just is not very good from Minnesota last year. And, and so you got to worry about that. And, and so I'm worried about Shannon Sullivan as a starting slot if that's what happened. I think the other thing is we just didn't see a lot of Patrick Peterson there. I think, you know, people figured, okay – Maybe Elijah Riley's the rundown slot. Well, the pass down slot now is going to be Patrick Peterson. And maybe that does end up happening. He just hasn't played a lot there. We've seen it in flashes. Uh, we, lately, I think it's kind of come up a little bit more. The last two days or so of camp, he started to play more in that slot. But before I see live reps of him, the guy hasn't played a single down of football in the slot in his career. I mean, he's a 13-year vet, and I understand why Mike Tomlin would have confidence in him kind of just sliding in there because he has seen it all, right? He's the guy that should be able to quick study, throw it in there, but he has never played that position. And it is a different position. It's a different rule set. It's different in how you play it. And so I need to see Patrick Peterson in that slot role on Saturday. I think that's yeah. a big thing. I need to see him in the slot tomorrow. Like, it, is there a slot corner problem? I think there might be, but if Patrick Peterson looks good, then there's not. That's your slot corner. And then you have Joey Porter Jr. coming on the field and nickel. Why you want to? That's like the ideal thing because you want your best three corners on the field, and those are your best three corners, right? Joey Porter Jr. has played well enough in camp to earn a spot in those sub packages. It's just if Pat Pete can't play a nickel in the slot, I think you need to think about going out there and getting some guy. And I mean, listen, there are like there's not a lot of good slot corners out there, but Bryce Callahan is like. The flashing red light, I think, if you look at, at who yeah. they would go and get, right? That's their Quan Alexander in the slot, yep. but they haven't really looked to add a slot corner. So I think Omar Khan's going to give Pat Pete Shen Sullivan these two games. Uh, show show what you have here in the slot. We'll see. I think it's easily, though, their number one kind of worry right now. And by, by this time next week on Friday after that Falcons game, I think we could be talking about it as either – yep, they got to go make this move or, okay, Pat Pete's the answer. Yeah, and they did uh, bring in for a visit but didn't end up signing Corn Elder. And I'm not putting him at the same level as Bright. I would 100% take Callahan over Corn Elder, but I'm just saying that there is a veteran that they brought in for a visit. Maybe they do circle back. Maybe they want to see what this defense looks like in the second preseason game against Buffalo and go from there. I'm not sure. 
yeah, Corn Elder is interesting because he is a vet, but he really only has one year of significant playing experience in the slot. A lot of his time mm-hmm. has been, you know, practice squad stuff. He's uh, he very, he's very Duke Dawson in that way. Um, yeah. And I think it's a shame Duke Dawson's now on IR for the year in and out because I thought he was having a pretty good camp. Like, I think there was a sleeper's chance that Duke Dawson could have really actually made this roster and been like a guy that surprised you as the slot corner. Um, so obviously now that's thrown out the window, maybe Cornelder ends up being a guy that they like um, and can and can kind of throw in there. It could also be maybe there's a team that needs a position of need, for example. Maybe there's a position – maybe they need D linemen. And they have a abundance of slot corners. That's completely possible. Um, and maybe there's a trade that the Steelers can work out to, to do to address that. We've talked about that too, um, where maybe they could trade a D lineman or or trade someone like that for a backup center or maybe a slot corner. Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. Uh, you mentioned you got to see Patrick Peterson get into the slot some on Saturday for sure. Um, let's let's transition to that then. What else are you looking for in this second preseason game against Buffalo? Not to to take an answer from you right off the bat, but it, for me, like the number one thing is the same thing that Derek said yesterday when I asked him about it. Joey Porter Jr. didn't get to play in that first game. So I think he's an obvious answer for everybody. But other than that, what are you looking for in this one? Yeah, I think the corner room as a whole is, is a good answer. Like slot corner is, we talked about slot corner, right? But let, let's see how James Pierre bounces back. Like that is an also that's an issue too. Like they don't have great outside corner depth after Trice got hurt. I think, mm. you know, when we talk about outside ads on the waiver wire, like is it that would it be that surprising if the Steelers add two corners? Like not right now from the view. Like they could add a depth. Yeah. They could add a slot and they could add a depth outside guy. Like I want to see how he plays. I want to see how Luke Barku plays. I want to see certainly how Joey Porter Jr. reacts to live environments. Uh, he's gotten better. Uh, I know, you know, he, George Pickens and him have obviously gone at it, but I want to see him. I, I, I don't care what anyone says. I want to see him cover Stephon Diggs. Like, I want to see that happen at least one mm-hmm. time. If I were Mike Tomlin, I would go out of my way to make sure he goes up against him once. Certainly, I want to see him go against, you know, Gabe Davis. Like, that is a yeah. that is a normal number two receiver, arguably based on the year Davis had last year, a wide receiver three that he should be able to cover. So if he can't cover him, there's issues. Like then you got to rethink the whole thing. Um, But he's a guy that I think you should be very excited for because I think he's going to be pretty good. I think he's going to have a really good debut. Um, I'm not sure it's going to be like Keanu Benton level debut, but I I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really good debut. And I like Joey Porter Jr. He's catching on quickly and growing Um, in terms of other things I want to watch. You know, we we talk a lot about this kind of mystifying fifth wide receiver spot. Like, Mm -hmm. who is going to be the fifth wide receiver? No one's really stepped up and taken that job. Like, right now, it doesn't feel like anyone wants that job. Um, Gunnar Olszewski's probably in the best of those guys but doesn't really offer a lot of special teams unless he's going to be your return man, which is possible, I guess. You know, Calvin Austin gets his kind of audition. I think that's something to watch the returners, you know, Calvin Austin, Anthony McFarland. But that goes in tandem with this. If Gunnar Olszewski is your most dependable punt returner, he's going to he's going to make the team. Um, that, mm-hmm. That's true. Um, but right now, you know, it's probably Miles Boykin because you got to lean back on, okay, we know this guy's a really good special team. But Des Fitzpatrick has had some flashes. But, I mean, you know, everyone's had high hopes for Akeem Butler, but – the lows have been far too frequent. Uh, dropped two really bad passes yesterday, and that really summed up his camp. Uh, there just hasn't been a lot of guys that have flashed in that room. 
I, I, I'm telling people this, but like, would not surprise me at all if that is the surprise waiver wire addition they make. Um, if they if they want to keep six receivers, and that's possible that they do want to keep six, um, people are discarding that ability. If they want to keep six receivers, there are probably not six receivers that you would feel comfortable with on a 53 man roster. And maybe they don't, but I feel like they could easily go out into the waiver wire and try and find a guy that they could like. Um, there, there are guys out there that that are going to be cut from teams that can make a 53-man roster wide receiver. There's a lot of wide receiver talent. So if they want to, they can. But let's see if anyone steps up, Steps up, right? Let's see if it does if Patrick takes his game to the next level. Let's mm-hmm. see if Gunner – you know, let's see if Gunner can can maybe make some noise here in this game. Like, if he starts to make some noise in game, that's always been my reservation with Gunner Olshevsky. Great camp guy, great practice guy. I just have never seen it in a game, and, and the man has never done it in a game, right? He never did it last year when everyone talked about it around this time. Well, he's going to have a big role. He just doesn't have a big role. And you look at his career; the guy had eight receptions last year. Like, I don't know how you can really rectify that into saying he's going to have a big role. He has 14 career receptions over four years. So we'll see. Um, I think that's something to look at. I think one other big thing I'm just excited to see, and it really is going to be these offensive line combinations. Because yesterday during their game plan install period, we saw a peak of Broderick Jones at left tackle and Dan Moore at right. I think that is a fascinating thing. I, I wonder if we get a drive of that. I wonder if we get a drive where you have the three starting into your guys and then you have Mort right and, and Jones left. I think it's not a bad idea to get Broderick Jones first team reps. I just don't think it's a bad idea uh, to let him face a first team defense for five snaps for however long, get Dan Moore in-game action at right tackle. I think that needs to happen. You know, if Dan Moore's going to be the swing tackle, he needs game experience at right tackle. He just does. Um, and, and you really don't need to see Chooks that much. You kind of know who Chooks mm-hmm. is. Um, so, I mean, you could pull him a drive early, in my opinion, and, and put put these guys in. So let, let's see what it looks like. Uh, does Spencer Anderson play at center? I think that's another interesting thing. With Nate Herbig out, that's a possibility he yeah. plays the third team. So I want to see this O-line. I want to see the depth O-line kind of – you know, splinter itself out. I want to see how Spencer Anderson plays. I thought he had a pretty solid debut. I want to see uh, him continue to work on that because one thing I will say is I think Anderson's starting to make a push to make this roster and, and becoming a guy that you really think you're going to keep. And if he can make the roster and can play all five spots, I think it makes Kevin Dotson a little bit more expendable, uh, a guy that, you know, Nate Herbig has been the top backup this whole time. So uh, if, if, if he he's one of the top nine line, like, in terms of Kevin Dotson, but if you can trade him, maybe open up a spot, that could be something. There you go. And I think that that's a good segue in terms of the Spencer Anderson aspect of that, because at least within the last couple of days, you're saying you thought he's, he's looked really good. So has any play this, let's get into some questions here. We got two um, that I wanted to bring up. Uh, has any player jump off the page unexpectedly at camp? A guy no one had on their radar who has opened eyes. Yeah, man. Um, that's a tough question. Um, because I don't feel like we've had like a true sleeper to, to grab onto at camp. So has there been someone that has kind of come out of nowhere and taken the reins of like, oh, this guy could be something? I'll give you an answer for that one. I think it's Trenton Thompson, um, the safety. Like that has been a guy they signed in mid camp, and he has like three interceptions, 
since then he had one in the game. Yeah. Yeah, he had one in the game too. Like he's making plays. Like he's probably a guy that has come out of nowhere. I don't think anyone had any expectations for a guy that got signed on August 2nd to come in and legitimately mm-hmm. push for this team. But he was getting first team reps when some of the injuries were happening. Like he's pretty clearly on the practice squad right now. I, I think that's pretty clear. Um, the uh, the one guy though that I just consistently came back to as Dude, who who is this guy coming from? Where, where is he coming from? Was one hundred percent Dylan Cook? Like this, he's an offensive tackle, former quarterback that played at like NAIA, Montana State, Northwest, <laughs> or something. Like yep. a wild story, and he played really well. He's passed LaRaven Clark on the depth chart. Played at right tackle with the second team yesterday. Some guard as well. Seems to be versatile. He looked really good. I thought he was a guy that legitimately is a player they can rely upon if they got hit with a rash of injuries at tackle and needed to call him up. I feel like he could give them quality reps. And then kind of the last one I want to throw out there, I, I shouted out earlier, it's been Fahoko, Brain Fahoko, man. Uh, he's just – he's a massive nose plugger uh, at, at nose tackle. Uh, he's a run stopper. First, he eats up double teams like nobody's business. He is a guy that – is very specialized with matchups. Like you're probably not going to play him at all against the Bengals. Just not going to play him much. Um, but against the Ravens, against the 49ers, this is a guy that can destroy double teams and combo blocks. And when you have guys like a Landon Roberts and Quan Alexander and Mark Robinson flying behind that guy that can get through mm-hmm. unscathed through the B gap. Yeah. That's a big advantage. So I think Fajoko's just had a great camp in terms of showing off his strengths of why he should make this roster. I'm not, at all making an excuse for this player here obviously hasn't been very good he's no longer on the team anyways but man how much would a player like devin bush have appreciated Braden fahoko those guards oh. not being able to climb to the next level yeah it, it really could because that was that was bush's biggest biggest weakness all the time was the fact that he could not shed blocks he was yeah. 5 11 230 ish and, and didn't have great length and that was always the biggest knock on him man if his speed and athleticism could go through unscathed he could he he could be a real weapon. I think uh, the last thing that I want to talk here, and let's stick with size, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, talk about some huge humans here to wrap this thing up. Because somebody mentioned, okay, ever all this talk about Darnell Washington's size, right? Just like a massive human nicknamed Mount Washington. But like Zach Gentry, you look at the height and weight, he's right there too. Why do we not talk about him in the same way? I mean, the answer he's not the same level of athlete, obviously number one, but I just wanted to highlight this comment and bring it up just to get your take on the entire thing. Yeah. It's the, it's you hit it right on the head. Uh, Let me just kind of compare for you some of these testing numbers for Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington Mm -hmm. was six foot seven, 264 pounds at the combine. He ran a four, six, four folks, four, six, four, two, sixty four, six, seven. Unreal. He had a 408 short shuttle. A 408 short shuttle. That is 97th percentile for any tight end. Not a 6'7 tight end. Any tight end. He has special athleticism. Zach Gentry, to his credit, is just not a great athlete and has stuck around in the league. I think that says a lot about him. You know, Gentry's probably taller than Darnell Washington, to be quite honest mm-hmm. with you. He's 6'8. Darnell's about 6'7. So he's got an inch on him. But Gentry ran a 4'9. His short shuttle was four five three. His three cone was seven point four. Like all of these percentiles, I'm going to throw out are below twenty percentile. Like Darnell Washington has 
one entire testing metric where he is not above average, and that was his vertical jump. Like, that is it. The guy looks like a basketball player. And I think the other thing with Gentry is he is a lot leaner than Darnell. Yeah. Like, Darnell is just built really weird. Like, he's very muscular. Um, looks like he came out of Georgia. Like, that's what the big thing is. <laughs> um, and then there's the third thing, which is just he's the new shiny object in the room. I mean, yeah. that's that, there's absolutely, you know, he is the new guy that everyone's enamored with. It, there's something about that. But he's a freak athlete. Like, there is not an athlete like Darnell Washington uh, on the Steelers team right now in terms of what they have in that tight room. There's not really an athlete like him that's in the NFL. Um, he's a very unique athlete at the tight end position. And so that is that is why everyone is enamored with him. And it's to no, no discredit of, of Zach Gentry. Zach Gentry is a very solid player that, that gives you good blocking, can be a good pass catcher, and gives you – kind of the requisite stuff you need for a backup tight end. Darnell Washington's potential, though, is to be a freak main tight end that does so many different things. And I think his athleticism allows him to be more of a a receiver that can bust seams and be used vertically, crossers, corners, posts, different things. Um, so I think that that's the big thing um, between the differences. But certainly, I think if you knew Zach Gentry – and you saw him, you would also say that is a massive human being. Yes. Uh, and, and so not to discredit Zach Ginger, he's still, still six foot eight and a very good athlete relative to most six foot eight guys that enter this league um, because most six foot eight tight ends don't last very long. But Zach Gentry has lasted longer than most of them. And he's turned himself. You remember when he came in, man, he was like unplayable when they drafted him. Yeah. Now he is a very solid tight end, too. Yeah, and I think he deserves a ton of credit for carving out that role for himself uh, in this league. Uh, I think that'll about do it, Nick. Yeah, you can tell the people where they can find you. I can't thank you enough, especially for joining us here on very short notice. So thanks again and tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, man, you can find me on Twitter at FairbuttFB. Uh, obviously, read the stuff at Steelers. Now make sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel, you know. Uh, all of that stuff, man. Got to find it. Smitty. I hope I did well with the next man up, you know, mentality. Um, I hope my performance is varsity, if you will. Who was the um, the running back for the Browns that just like randomly went off, had like 200 yards, three touchdowns, oh. like several, several years ago? I, I was like Jerome Harrison, huh? Yes. Yes. That's exactly, that was, this was a performance. This is a Jerome Harrison performance from, from Nick Faribault on Steelers afternoon drive, which they, People probably don't want to hear a Browns reference, but that's the first one that came to mind when you're just talking about like just in a short notice going off like that. Hey, you, um, also yeah. up, you also brought up another name, Jonas Gray, to my mind. Remember this guy went for oh, my New England performance on Sunday Night Football and then just disappeared. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Browns and Patriots references for the people. Yeah. That's what they want to hear on Steelers Afternoon Drive. Uh, I am Zachary Smith, PGH. As Nick said, subscribe like leave us a comment down below if you hit that notification bell you'll get notified when Steelers afternoon drive gets posted any of the practice reports any of the other great content that we got on the channel go check out the site of course make sure you're following us on all social platforms and if you're listening somewhere that isn't youtube you can leave a five-star review for us as well and we greatly appreciate that for nick faribault i'm zachary smith thanks for hopping and taking another ride on the Steelers afternoon drive and we'll catch you next time Bye bye <laughs>